you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts, the second chapter. We'll look at several verses before we get there. Uh, but Acts, the second chapter, is where we're going to uh, concentrate our lesson this morning. Sometimes refer to Acts, the second chapter, and I know others have, as the hub of the Bible, because the Old Testament points to that particular chapter or that particular day. And then in the New Testament, we find that it continues to build upon the things that were taught on that particular occasion in Acts chapter 2. We know that Jesus died on the cross. We've been looking at that. Uh, we looked at the events that took place up to that point. We've seen that Jesus, uh, when He died on the cross, that He was laid in a tomb later, and then on the third day, He rose victorious over the grave. And all of that is very important when it comes to Acts chapter 2. Because in Acts chapter 2, we see the events that Jesus had prophesied would take place, and we see His plan go into effect. The day of Pentecost was the beginning of the church, and there's a lot of beginnings that we see. And some of this is a repeat of what things that I've talked about in the past to remind us of the things that started in Acts chapter 2 and why that chapter is so important. But it is the beginning of the church. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 19, when Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou hast loosed on earth shall be loosed in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven." There we see Jesus talking about the church. The church that He said that He would build. And it's very important to realize that it had not been built up at that point, up to that point, and that it was something that was going to happen in the future. And we know from Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13, it tells us there that He hath delivered us into the power, from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sin. And so we can look at what Jesus had prophesied was going to take place, where He would build His church. And I think that we can see that the kingdom and the church are interchangeable in terminology. That we can look at those words and they mean the same thing. That Peter was given the keys to the kingdom, and it's very uh, important to realize that on the day of Pentecost, it was Peter who stood up and began to preach. I know the other eleven also stood up, but it's the words of Peter that we have recorded in Acts chapter 2. And there I believe that he's using those keys that God or Jesus had given to him to open the doors of salvation to the kingdom and allow us to be translated into that kingdom from the kingdom of darkness. And so those words are interchangeable when we talk about the church and the kingdom because we can't be translated into a kingdom that does not exist. And so we are, as Christians, we have been translated into that kingdom which is the church. And we also see that in that chapter, the Christian dispensation or the time period that we live under today 
uh, began. We know that there was a patriarchal age, the mosaical age, and now it's the Christian age. In Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44, we see a prophecy concerning uh, that new dispensation or the church being established. In Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44, it says, In the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And a kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. This is just one of the Old Testament prophecies concerning the kingdom or the church that Jesus was going to establish. There are other passages of the Scripture in the Old Testament that talk about that. Uh, I don't have time to get into it, but you can look at the uh, dream that uh, uh, D- uh, Daniel was given an interpretation of, and we can see the meaning that it was going to take place in the days of those kings. And so the Roman Empire was in existence, and that was one of the kingdoms that it was referring to. We also see the beginning of the mission of the Holy Spirit in convicting and converting sinners uh, through the Word of God. In John chapter 16 and verse 8, And when He is come, He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of the judgment. Joel chapter 2 and verse 28, And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out My Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out My Spirit, and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. We know that that took place on the day of Pentecost. We'll talk about that in a few moments. But those are, again, some of the Old Testament prophecies that talk about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that is going to be uh, working on that particular day and bestowed upon the apostles on that occasion. We also see that it's the beginning of a new covenant or the New Testament, uh, as Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 15 beginning uh, tells us that Jesus had to die on the cross for His last will and testament to go into effect. And in verse 15 of Hebrews chapter 9, it says, "...and for this cause He is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance." For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of a testator." For a testament is a force after men are dead, otherwise it has no strength at all while the testator liveth, whereupon neither the first testament is dedicated without blood. And so the Hebrew writer is telling us that the fact that Jesus had to die before His will, His last will and testament could go in effect. And so the church was established. That was His plan. The plan of salvation was instituted. And all of those things took place. Why? Because Jesus had died on the cross. We see also in that chapter that it is the beginning of salvation. In Luke chapter 24, and verse 46, beginning it says, And He said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in His name among all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. So all of those things are happening or going to happen in Acts the second chapter. But today I want us to look at Acts chapter 2 and look at the Holy Spirit and His purpose and the work that it was going to do in God's plan. In John chapter or Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11, John the baptizer tells us that I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. 
He shall uh, baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So this is something that's being prophesied that is going to happen. And it's going to happen in the, on the day of Pentecost. And in Luke chapter 24 and verse 49, it says, And behold, I send a promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endowed with power from on high. And so what takes place on the day of Pentecost? Where are they located on the day of Pentecost? Jesus says, go to Jerusalem and tarry and wait for the power to come. Well, in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, it says, And being assembled together with them, and commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith He, Ye have heard of Me, for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. So Jesus is saying, stay in Jerusalem. He's talking to His apostles. They're assembled there. And that's where they're at in Jerusalem. And we see the power come. And so we see that promise that Jesus had made to them fulfilled in Acts chapter 2, verses 1-4. through For it says, When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. On that day of Pentecost, they're in the city of Jerusalem where they're supposed to be, where Jesus told them to wait. That they would be endowed with power on high. The Holy Spirit would descend. That it was going to come. And we see the Holy Spirit came on that occasion. And they were able to speak in tongues. They were able to speak in languages that people could understand that they had not studied. The, the, the apostles were able to speak a language without studying it. They were able to teach other people that may have spoke some other language themselves. And so this isn't some mumbo-jumbo that they were, they were saying. They were speaking a language that people could understand and people could understand and know what they needed to do. And I think that we can see the importance of that if you could only speak one language and you had other people that spoke different languages, it would be hard for them to understand what was being taught on that day. And so it took place. The Spirit came. But what was the purpose of the Spirit? Well, Jesus tells us some of those things that it was going to do. The Holy Spirit came as a comforter and that comforter was going to abide forever. Because Jesus, before He was betrayed, in John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, He says, And I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another Comforter, that, ye may abide, that He may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth Him not, neither knoweth Him, but ye know Him, for He dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Jesus is saying a comforter is coming. Imagine the apostles in the situation that they were in. As we studied, we've seen that they didn't quite understand the, the, the plan that God had. They didn't quite understand all the Scripture. They doubted that Jesus had risen from the dead. And so Jesus had explained the Scripture to those two individuals as they walked down the road to Emmaus. And so they had to have their guidance. And imagine their Savior, the one that is telling them that this is what we're going to do, this is the plan, He dies. He's dead on a cross. And now He's 
ascended to heaven. The Spirit is going to guide them and help them, give them comfort. Because Jesus also said that there were other things that the, that the Holy Spirit would do. It would guide them in all truth. As it says in John chapter 16 and verse 13, it would show you things to come, as it tells us also again in that same verse, and then it would bring to their remembrance whatsoever he had said, Jesus had said, John chapter 14 and verse 26. And so we see those things that the Comforter was going to do. It was going to guide them in all truths. It was going to show them things to come and that it would bring to their remembrance the things that Jesus had said and taught. And so that's something that's very important about that particular occasion. That the Holy Spirit is there to guide them, to tell them the truth, tell them the truth that needs to be proclaimed. But we also see something else that the Holy Spirit is going to do as it tells us in John chapter 16 and verse 8. And Jesus told His disciples that the Holy Spirit would... And when He has come, He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. So He was going to convict the world of sin. That's His purpose. That's what He was going to do. And we'll see if that happens on the day of Pentecost. We'll see if He accomplishes His mission, His purpose in proclaiming the truth. And the question is, how does He do that? How is He going to convict sinners that they need to change? How is He going to convict them of that sin, help them to see that there's something in their life that they have done that they need to turn away from and trust God and do what God tells them that they need to do? And so Acts chapter 2 shows us how He convicts and converts sinners. And that's what I want us to look at today. We know that it was the day of Pentecost, and the day of Pentecost was, took place 50 days after the Passover. And there was a large crowd that was assembled. Jesus had walked on the face of the earth for 40 days. He had appeared to numerous people. You can see the, the list of those that He appeared to in 1 Corinthians the 15th chapter. But verse 5 tells us, again, that there were dwelling in, at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation, under heaven. So we know that they're still in Jerusalem. They had the Spirit had come on that occasion. They speaking in tongues. People heard what they were saying. They understood what they were saying. But they accused them of being full of new wine. And Peter's response is kind of interesting because he says, but it's the third hour of the day. That would mean it would be like nine o'clock in the morning. So even you know that would be unusual. For people to do that. But Peter goes on to say, beginning in verse 14, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice, said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out My Spirit upon all flesh, and my sons, or your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on My servant and on My handmaids I will pour out in those days of My Spirit, and they shall prophesy." 
And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs on the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and noble, notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I've tried to point out as we've gone through the series of lessons <clears throat> how often to prove their point or to make their statement, they refer back to the Scripture. Here on this occasion when they're accused of being full of new wine, Peter refers to the Scripture to defend themselves. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. He goes back into the Old Testament to prove the point that this is something that was prophesied and is happening before your very eyes. The Jews at that time realized that that passage of Scripture there in Joel was something that would confirm the Messiah to them. And they were right to assume that. They were right to apply that to that thought. Their problem was they rejected Jesus. They didn't want Jesus as their Messiah. They were looking for someone else. And Peter is saying, this, what you have seen, what has taken place, what is happening right now, is what was spoken by Joel. In Joel chapter 2, beginning in verse 28. And so he begins quoting Old Testament Scripture that they recognized and they knew was true. I had someone say one time when we were talking about the Bereans being more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they searched the Scriptures daily. And they wanted to know, well, what Scriptures would they look at? How would you know or how could you prove what someone needs to do in order to be saved or live the Christian life or whatever? Well, you can go back into the Old Testament and you can see that it was prophesied that Christ was coming. You can see the prophecies concerning the church. And you knew that if those were true, you knew that Jesus was who He claimed to be and that He was someone that needed to be listened to. And so they searched the Old Testament Scripture. Brethren, we have the Bible today, God's Word, the Scripture, and that's really where we need to be turning to. We don't need to turn to some psychologist to tell us what we need to do. We need to turn to the Bible and see what we need to do concerning our salvation and how we are to live our lives to serve our God. That's what's important. Don't look at some book. Look to God's Word for our help in living that Christian life. And so we know that what Peter was talking about here and what Joel was referring to was the last days. Those were, that was going to take place in the last days. And so we learn from this that we are living in the last days now. Now, how long will that be? I don't know how long the last days are going to be. It's been 2,000 years since Jesus walked on the earth, but we also know that the world could last another 10,000 years or even longer. But it's also His return may be imminent. I don't know. He could come today. But the fact of the matter is we're still in the last days ever how long they may be. And so we need to remember that. But notice what Peter preaches in his sermon. He goes on in verse 22. Ye men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by Him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, 
Ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holding it to it. What's Peter preaching? The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Verse 25, he goes on. Notice again, he's referring to an Old Testament passage of Scripture. Psalms 16 and verse 8. For David speaketh, verse 25, For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, for I show not, or should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not deliver my or thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the way of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God hath sworn with, him, with an oath to him that the fruits of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, and whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into heaven, but he saith himself, The Lord saith, or said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy soul or thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath raised that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Again, we see that Old Testament prophecy concerning <clears throat> that David gave. And some may have thought that David was referring to himself, but Peter is telling us that he's referring to Christ. And how do we know that? Because the, the, uh, David had died, he had been laid, laid in a tomb, and he was still in his tomb, and they knew where that sepulcher was at. He hadn't come forth out of the grave. So David is talking about Christ, that he's died, that he was not left in the tomb, that he came forth out of that grave, and he arose victorious over the grave. Do you see what he's preaching? He's preaching the Gospel of Christ. The fact that Jesus died for our sins, that He was buried, and that He arose victorious over the grave. In 1 Corinthians 15, chapter verses 1-4, through it shows us that that is what the Gospel is. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the Gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherewith ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that He was buried, and that He arose again the third day according to the Scripture. 
So Paul is telling us plainly that the Gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. On the day of Pentecost, Peter is proclaiming the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You don't have to say it in those exact words, but Peter is saying, you killed Him. He died. You crucified Him. He was buried. He wasn't left there. He arose victorious over the grave, and now He's at the right hand of Christ. And if you look at most of the sermons that are recorded in the New Testament... After the day of Pentecost, that death, burial, and resurrection is proclaimed. And that's what we need to proclaim today. We need to tell the world that Jesus died for their sins, that He was buried, and that He rose victorious over the grave. And that they can have that victory. They can have victory over sin, and they can have victory over death. They don't have to be afraid of those things. Because Jesus shed His blood so that we could be forgiven. And that's what they proclaimed, and that's what Peter proclaimed on that occasion. And so in Acts chapter 2, thousands of people heard that message. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 37, what, did it say? what does it say? And now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? Why did they ask that question? Because they heard the message that Peter delivered that they by wicked hands had crucified him. They had sinned. They needed to repent. Now let me ask this. Who caused that to happen? What caused them to ask that question? What pricked their heart? Was it Peter? Or was it the Holy Spirit working through Peter? It was the Word of God. And all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. And God's Word is delivered to us or has been given to us in His Word because of that Spirit, that Holy Spirit. And so they're speaking the truth. Were they convicted of their sin? When they asked the question, what shall we do? They were convicted. They realized their guilt. And they realized there was something that needed to be done. But they didn't know what they needed to do. So they asked the question, what shall we do? That's the greatest question that could be asked when it concerns our soul. What can we do? Listen to Peter's reply. Listen to the commands that he gives that must be obeyed if we want to have the forgiveness of sin. <clears throat> Verse 38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. What did they need to do to have their sins remitted? What did they need to do to have their sins forgiven? What did they need to do to have them washed away? Peter said, repent and be baptized. And I like what the rest of that verse says. <clears throat> goes on, and if you do those things, if you repent and, you're bab and, and bab be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and 
you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You want salvation? That's the gift that He gives us. If you want salvation, then what do you have to do? What has been commanded us? Verse 39, For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did He testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. How long did that promise last? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. How long was that going to last? Just that generation? No. Peter says every generation. So as many generations that come into existence from Pentecost forward has the opportunity to have that gift of salvation. And I don't know why people can say, well, that's just what they did back then in order to be saved. That's what they had to do in order to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it was not just that time, but it was for every generation in the future. When they obeyed those words, Look what happened in verse 41. And when they gladly received His words, and they that gladly received His words were baptized, and the same day there was added unto them about 3,000 souls. What does that mean? They gladly received His word and were baptized. It means that they trusted what Peter said. That means that they repented of their sin. You see, they had crucified Christ. They didn't recognize Him for who He was. But now they're willing to recognize Him and they say, we have done something terrible. They've been convicted. They're guilty. And now they need to do something about it. And so they've repented and now they've trusted that Jesus is the Messiah, that He is the Son of God. And they're doing what they have been commanded to do. So we see the promises, we see the commands, we see the message. And remember that gospel message is what Jesus said, go into all the world and preach. And that's what they're doing on the day of Pentecost. Through the direction and guidance of the Holy Spirit. The New Testament church was established. <clears throat> Jesus said in Mark, or Matthew chapter 16, and verse 15, Whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will build my church. Future tense. He was going to build His church. And may I remind you, this is plan A, not plan B. I've heard people say, God uh, couldn't work with what He had to be His first plan, so He had to come up with a second plan. No, this is God's first plan. And we need to understand that. And we cannot compromise the truth. Jesus built a church. He said He was going to build it. And we see in Acts chapter 2, in verse 47, 
were the Lord added to the church. What church did He add them to? The church that Jesus built. Not some man-made organization. The church that Jesus said that He would build had been built. And the Scripture tells us also in verse 42 that they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayer. They kept on. They were strong. They, they remained steadfast. And that's what, remember, we were encouraged to do by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 chapter and verse 58. Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. How many of us are doing that? The Jerusalem church <clears throat> that we can read about there in Acts chapter 2 was a church that had reverence for God. The Bible tells us in verse 43 that fear came upon every soul. Verse 44 and 45, we can see that they were a very giving church. That they helped those that had a need. Verse 46, we see that they were a glad and happy church. For they continued daily with one accord in a temple and in breaking bread from house to house and they did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. They were a happy church. Are we happy? Are you happy as a Christian? I would imagine that some that obeyed the Gospel on that occasion probably lost family. They would say, we don't want to have anything to do with you. And we know that eventually some will be persecuted. That those in Jerusalem were driven out by persecution. But the Bible says that they were happy. And think of all the things that they've gone through and the things that they had to deal with and what we get upset about today. The simple things in our lives that happen that we get so unhappy and so miserable about. And I believe that that church on the day of Pentecost was, was, was happy because they were thankful. They were thankful for what God had done for them. They had been saved. Their sins had been washed away. Brethren, if that doesn't bring joy to our heart, if that cannot make us happy, nothing will. You see problems in the church at Corinth? Because they were worldly. Today, we're miserable people sometimes because we're worldly. They also grew. Verse 46 Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. <clears throat> That's important. They didn't vote them in. The Lord added them to the church. And that's an important point that is made there in Acts chapter 2. But when did it happen? When were they added to the church? After they heard the Word after they heard the lesson that Peter preached, after they heard the Gospel message that they needed to change, that there was something wrong in their life, and they were convicted by the Spirit when they heard those words that Peter proclaimed. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10, and verse 17, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Do you see faith in chapter 2? 
You don't see that word. But did they have faith? Did they believe the message? Obviously, they believed the message because they cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? So they heard that message. They believed that message, which is exactly what Jesus tells us we need to do. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And they repented of their sins. <clears throat> Turned away from those things. As we pointed out, they crucified Christ. Now, they have to put their faith in Him that He is the Messiah. And then they were buried with our Lord in baptism to have their sins washed away. Notice what Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Before that, He said, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. That gospel is the power of God and the salvation. That gospel is the message that people need to hear. <clears throat> That's the message that you and I need to proclaim. And when people are obedient to that message, they'll do exactly what they did on the day of Pentecost so that they can have their sins remitted, washed away by the blood of Christ. The question is, are you a part of that New Testament church that we read about in the New Testament? Because that's the church that we strive to be. And that's the church that you want to be a part of, the church that Jesus built. You've heard the Word this morning. <clears throat> if you need to be baptized into Christ, we can do that. All things are ready. If you're, living, if you're a Christian and you're not living as you should and you need our prayers, we're here to help you in any way that we can. You have the opportunity to respond to the invitation while together we stand and sing.